1: Hello and welcome to the Shakti Hour, a podcast on the Be Here Now Network, where I speak with women about their personal experience on the spiritual path. My name is Melanie, and today I'm sharing a conversation I had with sound therapy practitioner Sarah Oster. You can hear some of Sarah's music playing behind me now. Sarah and I first met in Paris when she was accompanying a yoga class I attended, and I was completely transfixed by the beautiful and magical sounds that she was creating. We met up again in New York earlier and talked about listening itself as a meditative practice. So throughout the interview, and again at the end, I've included some samples of some of Sarah's music so that you can get a sense of what it is she offers. You can also find links to more of Sarah's music and events on the Shakti Hour page at BeHereNowNetwork.com. You can also download the HeartMind app from the App Store to have access to the Shakti Hour and all other Be Here Now Network podcasts, videos, and teachings on your phone. Please do remember to subscribe to the Shakti Hour on iTunes. And thanks very much for listening. I want to just start, just have you tell us to begin with what does it mean to be a sound
2: therapy practitioner? Hm. Mm. Well, it has to do with uh using sound as a a therapeutic tool, uh and also as a as a tool for meditation. And that that's what it means to me, is being able to access sound and create sound to facilitate uh what I consider to be a therapeutic experience for people.
1: Yeah, I mean I um I was reading on your website about the in the in the fAQs about the different kinds of brainwaves mm. that are are um, affected by the sounds. Mm-hmm how much, I mean, how, how much are you cognizant of that as you're creating music for people like that? You're shifting their brainwaves. Is that part of, (laughs) is it part of what you decide, how you decide to use the different uh, bowls and things to create a, a particular, to evoke a particular feeling or to evoke a particular shift for people?
2: Yes, it definitely informs uh, my selection of instruments and different tools that I use, as well as when and what order I play them in. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm picking up cues all the time when I'm working uh, either one-on-one or, or in a group. Mm-hmm. Fidgeting, deep breathing,
1: you know. So, so using your knowledge that you have of what sound vibrations bring, what result, then you're just adjusting during each session to decide every session is different, right? Every session is yeah. different. Yeah. And, you know, there's a, there's so much, uh, integration of science into meditation and yoga. Now everybody wants to prove we want to prove science and yoga, but we don't want to prove it climate change, (laughs) But, (laughs) but, but, you know, um, how important is it to understand those scientific or mathematic or physiological aspects of the process?
2: Well, that's a great question because I myself, uh, can tend to be a little bit cynical um or definitely a uh, uh, a fact seeker um you know some some sort of evidence that can back a particular practice helps to present the practice with more Legitimacy. I mean, and, and and to me, you know, as as one who's receiving a, a new practice, I I like to hear how how it's gonna help me and and why. And I think a lot of people feel that way, especially people who might be closed off. You know, it's it's really helpful to be able to uh, present some some information and the research around sound is, um, it's limited at the moment, but it's, it's growing really exponentially. So. Yeah. I I mean, the, the, uh, how is it different than like the binaural beats?
1: Is it along the same kind of science? that yeah. is yeah sure i mean it's All... just frequencies that we're talking about basically right. different
2: right. frequencies and how with binaural beats it's you know how two different frequencies are interacting with each other that creates a a binaural beat
1: mm-hmm.
2: right but it's the same thing i mean you're still talking about sound and sound waves and and frequencies and, and how they how affect, they affect, the affect us. so it's the same right yeah. <laughs> Sim similar let's not say the same
1: so someone that's coming in new to sound meditation or sound therapy, what is the basic science that you would give them to say, here's why this is going to help you?
2: I would say, uh, because it helps to access states of, of deep Relaxation; it can help to reduce stress and anxiety. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's been proven to be helpful for people with insomnia Mm -hmm. uh, and high blood pressure. Mm -hmm. And you know, I think the what's attractive to people about it is there's not really a discipline attached to it, and that. They can show up and be as comfortable as they need to be, you know, in their physical body and the, the only engagement really then is, is sort of active listening. Mm-hmm.
1: Which we talked about briefly in one of our, our broken Skype calls <laughs> before <laughs> was this, the crossover of listening, external listening, oral listening and the deep listening of a meditation practice mm-hmm. basically, which is this tuning into listening. Do you see that crossing over for people or is it irrelevant? Cause they're still getting the same benefit. Cause I know you add, I know meditation is like actual guided meditation is, can be part of some of your, mm-hmm. your events, but where does that cross over for people or is that, do they become ready for that through through this first experience then they're willing to go into this other one or
2: yeah I've actually witnessed it happen several times uh where people are curious or they've heard about a sound bath and they're they're intrigued and they want to see what it's all about and it 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 opens up um the possibility for, for self discovery, you know, and that's what I'm really inviting every time is, uh, not necessarily, a, a promise of some blissful state. Mm. Uh, but you're definitely going to learn something about yourself and, and specifically about your relationship with sound. Mm. Um, and because i see you know sound and thoughts as as both our vibrations then uh it helps us to to access a different kind of relationship with ourselves with our thoughts mm. um and i i might have said this before but sound is ephemeral and it, so sound is only happening now And if you can focus on your listening and focus on the sound that you're hearing in the moment, it will instantly take you to what is actually happening instead of your perceptions of what you think ought to be happening. Hmm. So it's a very clear observation of the of the present moment. And that's why I think it's so interconnected with uh, meditation.
1: Can you say more about the vibrations of thoughts and sound being similar? And also, I was thinking of that in terms of mantra practice.
2: So, in that sense, there are sort of different subtle levels of sound. I mean, I guess speaking more from a yoga perspective and and vash as sound um and so you know when you're repeating a mantra in your head for mantra meditation people don't think of that as sound because it's not audible Hmm. but (laughs) it's still uh of a vibration you are quote unquote saying it in your head so to me that has uh carries a similar weight as to you know the external sound or sound that comes out of your mouth sounds or thoughts words that you're repeating in your head Mm mm-hmm And what,
1: what are kind of some of the differences of that? So what's, how do you perceive the difference of a a thought about, oh my gosh, I have to get that invoice out the door or what am I going to do about that thing tomorrow versus a sound bath sound versus a (laughs) mantra sound versus a car horn Mm. sound, you know, (laughs) how do these different things, you know, how do you relate them to one another or differentiate that from one another?
2: Uh, I I think it has to do a lot with your relationship and to the sounds, I mean. And so what meditation offers is, to me, (laughs) is a, a space between your thought and your reaction to the thought. And so you can exercise that practice with external sounds, even sirens here in New York City. It's an example that I use uh, a lot, you know, being, being from New York. And how much, you know, certain sounds like that trigger stress for us and how we can start to shift the relationships with sounds that we perceive as stressful. For instance, by reminding yourself that the reason the siren is screaming is because somebody is on their way to help someone in need, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and and they need to get through, and so they need to let, let themselves be known. You know, in a way that gets your attention that alerts you it's supposed to alert you so you say okay i'm alerted and i'm moving on with my day instead of you know cursing the fire department or you
1: know right it's the telling of that story it's shifting the telling of the story right? right so your perspective you can't stop the siren right from going off right but it can trigger in you a fight or flight response Right. Or it could trigger in you a compassionate response for the service that's about to be given right. to someone in need. I love that. That's great. And that's the, the way that, you know, I, I believe in the beginning of working with your thoughts and meditation, your relationship to them, turning your attention to another part of your being, rather than getting engaged and running off on whatever head trip you're on. Right. Right. In the conditioned, habitual way. Mm -hmm. That's great. So then the sound bath is really that opportunity to kind of give you a different relationship to all those vibrations. Mm -hmm. I get that now. I'm understanding that. So that allows you just a bit of space, a real nice bit of space to maybe start perceiving other things differently. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Got it. it, I love how you said that. (laughs) I'm going to keep that one. (laughs) Well, it's, it's, it's on tape for the record. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, it's, uh, I'm, uh, you know, come from music myself. So music, sound and music has a different point part in my life. You know, it's like, I can't go into any environment to not you know, on hear the conversation over there or what the coffee machine is doing or what the music is playing and what kind of, you know, tambourine reverb did they use? <laughs> All these things are constantly happening for me. So, uh, my experience of the sound bath is almost over stimulating because mm. I'm taking in so much sound. <laughs> I, I love it. But it it becomes like, for me, it's becomes a real full body kind of electrifying experience.
2: Ooh, let's talk about this. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I'm going to interview you now. Yeah. Okay,
1: great. (laughs) Turn it around.
2: Yeah. Where have you been to one of my sound baths?
1: I was at yours in, um, in Paris with Susanna. Okay. When we did the class, when you did the class with, or you did it with Amanda. But Susanna was in town. Ah, uh, interesting. Yeah.
2: Okay. Yeah. So... Which was a
1: different experience because that was right. a yoga class and... With with with, with your
2: supporting, yeah. Right. So <clears throat> what I would like to express not only to you and to anyone who's listening is that uh, a sound bath or sound meditation can be... Uh, it's so open to inter- interpretation by the person who's facilitating, um, and not everybody who's facilitating sound baths um, is a musician. And so, to me, uh, and to you know, a couple of colleagues that I work with as well, is there's a a pic- particular aesthetic and continuity to the sounds that. That I offer in 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 the experience that I'm facilitating, and I have experienced several different kinds of sound baths facilitated by other people, and they can be kind of jarring sometimes, you know, with um, uh, <laughs> sort of like jumping from one sound to another or using many different sounds. Mm. And my intention always is to have very fluid and smooth transitions uh, if I am using multiple d- or like different, different families of, of instruments, mm-hmm. that there is some sort of uh, musicianship and aesthetic mm-hmm. that exists in the sounds that, I'm offering and you also said the word
1: intention and I think that um, a couple that I experienced the intention was to raise your vibration to stimulate your in, to wake you up right and um, and I guess it probably for me in that moment it wasn't actually what I needed <laughs> <laughs> yeah or did or had that experience But, you know, just to say that too, is that all these different experiences, it's the same as a, a, if you have a meditation practice, it's not going to be the same thing every time you go into meditate. Yes. So, you know, each of these experiences, whether they're with you or with someone else is
2: going to give you more information. And I 100% agree. Also, if you're... If you're not open and receptive to having a new experience and you're sitting there with your arms crossed and naysaying, you know, everything that you hear, then, you know, you're 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 shutting it down before it it has an opportunity to affect you. And I really feel that way with um, a lot of different things. Um, I feel that way with acupuncture I feel like unless unless you 're open to the possible uh, benefits of a particular experience, you know you 're already making a decision for yourself that it that it 's not going to work quote unquote you know
1: right, and so like you said so do you remember your first sound bath experience? Do you remember when you first were turned on to this? mode of expression and
2: yeah well it's hard for me to remember the first one necessarily but I remember the first one very clearly that I didn't like Mm -hmm. (laughs) those are easier to remember right Mm -hmm. Uh, and I had a really challenging time with the way the space was being held, with um, I, 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 you know, the truth is, I didn't feel safe or cared for. I felt like it was a performance, and the performance wasn't to my liking. Mm-hmm. And then, even within that experience, uh, you know, as my practice as a as a yogi, just in life, is to say, well, what did I learn mm-hmm. from that? And what I learned from that is. Uh, you know, learning what's what's important to me and how I <laughs> facilitate experiences for people. So it was a really big lesson for me, you know, in how how do you greet people when they come in the door? And, you know, all of these elements uh, and things that may seem insignificant are very important to me. Mm-hmm. And
1: well, I think you touched on something that uh, I spoke with David Pramal recently too, and I used the word uh, performance about one of their. I had seen them at Omega, and and she reminded me it wasn't a performance it, that they were in service mm. to the group. They were offering the the music in service to the group to be able to join in to chant and and engage in that and that's something that you know I and mean, we we all have egos
2: yeah you know <laughs> and
1: and um and in the you know as this this uh the the yoga community explodes globally and there's more and more teachers and more and more practitioners and more and more you know methods being out there it's it's great i mean you can't really complain about these practices and and uh, philosophies and experiences becoming more and more available to people, but how do you navigate that as a student? Uh, how do you how do you navigate going and finding things that are going to give you that safe place? Like, what are the keys to to recognize that?
2: you know, I always said, you know, for, for anything that you're seeking is to, to do your research really. And also if you're intrigued by a particular practice for any reason, and you have one experience with one particular teacher, that maybe that teacher, you don't resonate with them. And when you don't resonate with a teacher, you won't be able to receive information. Mm -hmm. Uh, I really see that as a disconnect and it doesn't matter. You can be a great teacher. It doesn't mean you're a bad teacher, you know, if, if, if a student doesn't resonate with you. And I believe that there are, all different types of teachers out there, uh, for every kind of student, um, even, even within, uh, one very particular style of yoga, for instance, mm-hmm. that's happened with me, my first experience of, of Bikram, I wasn't into it. And I thought, you know, but I really want to try this. And I went back and, and look, I mean, even Bikram is kind of a perfect example because every sequence is exactly the same. Mm-hmm. And yet the way the information is delivered, you know, has everything to do with how, how you receive it. So I think that's really important. I think if you tried yoga once, for instance, and you didn't like it, that <laughs> there's so many variables to that. You know, how are you feeling that day? Who was your teacher?
1: Yeah, and how, how do you, I mean, you have that person, that trust in yourself. You know, how do you how do you develop that trust in yourself to be able to know, you know, a lot of people would force themselves to go back and think that maybe they were not getting it or, or they wouldn't go back. You know, how do you develop that, both the perseverance to continue searching it and, And the self trust to be able to leave a situation or change a situation like that.
2: I think it's such a delicate balance between feeling empowered to know what is for you and what is not for you (laughs) and then also kind of sticking with something even though it's challenging because the challenge might be good for you uh and it can be really difficult to decipher but it was a message that I always tried to deliver in my yoga classes and I continue to have a desire to empower people to, to to learn this, you know, about themselves. When is it really like okay to to stand up and and walk out of a situation that's making you feel uncomfortable, you know? And when should you stay and see it through? Mm-hmm. I, mean, I think it's such a uniquely individual. Uh, situation, but we all have to learn that for ourselves. I mean, I'm, I'm sure
1: that, that, um, all different kinds of people come to experience sound meditation. Um, how do you get them engaged in, or is it even part of your objective to get them engaged in the meditation part of it? Or is it just to open that door and then allow them to come in?
2: mostly opening the door. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 being accessible. Yeah. As as one of the words I live by with my work and and my teaching is to really make sure not to deliver information in a way that is too esoteric or or over people's heads or even you know too scientific, which can also be <laughs> over people's heads, you know. Uh, I I think that by having a practice of listening, of deep listening, uh, that we can really start to understand and know ourselves better. And then coming back to that, you know, making appropriate decisions for ourselves. It all has to do with, Listening, listening not only to external sounds or internal sounds, you know, but also your intuition, mm. you know, and sort of honing that a little bit more, and I think that all comes from being able to practice listening. 23, I fell through a floor 15 feet and broke my back. Wow. And before that, I had very little awareness of my physical body. I wasn't very physically active and it was on this path of artist. And it wasn't until I had suffered from chronic pain and had been on you know, morphine and all different kinds of, of painkillers that I had a strong desire to, to help myself. And, uh, you know, I, I, hit a lot of challenges that, that actually led me to yoga, for instance, asking, uh, my neurosurgeon, what about physical therapy? And he said, Oh yeah, yeah. If you if you want me to write you a prescription for physical therapy, I can. I was like, Well what can I do here in this back brace from my neck down to my hips with a with a walker? And he said, Well if it hurts, don't do it. <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> but everything hurt. <laughs> <Right>. So <laughs> I felt really stuck for a long time. <laughs> and uh you know, people kept telling, oh, you have to try yoga. You have to try yoga. I tried yoga. I hated it. I tried yoga. I hated it. I tried yoga. I felt in danger, you know, for my body hmm. in some some circumstances. Um, and then I found a, a studio and teachers and a practice that felt safe, that I loved, that eventually started to empower me to access it When I needed it, not just going to class and having hands-on adjustments, but saying, oh, wait, I feel that pain coming on. Let me try this stretch that I know that I learned in yoga, Hmm. just in my room or, you know, Hmm. and and that's really how it started on on such a basic level of having a desire to get out of pain. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Well, and that, you know, it's not for not everyone But for, for many, many, many people, what brings them into any kind of yogic or spiritual practice is some sort of pain, Mm. you know, some sort of dismantling of the status quo, you know, routes you in. But that's a really intense accident (laughs) to endure at such a young age.
2: Well, what I learned many years into my yoga practice was that the actual trauma, the mental and emotional trauma of falling through a floor, uh, was much more challenging to deal with than the physical pain mm-hmm. of a broken back, mm-hmm. and that that lingered much longer, and you know, was much more complex. Mm.
1: And how how long do you think into your your physical practice did that take to get to that place where you could start to look at that aspect?
2: Uh, I mean, it took years.
1: Yeah, it took years. Yeah.
2: Because I always use the physical injury as uh, a reason you know, or an excuse to not do certain things in the physical practice when teachers maybe started to say, well, but you are strong enough to do this, like you need to move through the mental block is when I started to, to see that in myself, to believe them. You know, or, or instead of saying, you don't know what you're talking about, right. <laughs> I, you're broke my this I broke my back, like I right. can't do that, <laughs> right? you know, uh, and to lower that resistance and then to, to really look at you know, the the mental and emotional blocks that were there.
1: Right. And then what helped you go through those? I mean, you already had your you're starting your asana practice. Is is that when you started to find sound to explore that or, or how did you start to move through the more emotional and mental aspects of the trauma? Uh,
2: that's where meditation really became important to me, my own, my own meditation practice to really be able to, to sit with all those things and, and unpack them Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah.
2: And start to to shift my relationship there.
1: Yeah. And were you working with a, a teacher at that time then to be going into meditation or were you in training? I know you have yoga certification training. Yeah, I like... was a,
2: an, an Anusara yogi. I see. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> right. Uh, when that.
1: So you had a community and yeah. a group of support to, to be there as you were doing that. Yeah. For yourself.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then where in that part of the story did sound reenter? I know when we spoke before, you had, had been in music and, and communities and, and doing organizing events for, for music. But when did the sound kind of come back around to be a part of that, part of your practice?
2: Um. I think in noticing, for instance, how I felt about music being played in, in during yoga classes, during asana, mm-hmm. and having very strong opinions about playlists and pop music and or music that's played during shavasana. And you know, I as a yoga teacher, I never played music during my classes. Very strictly, just silence and you know instruction. And so I started to look at that, you know, wow, how are people, how are teachers selecting music to play while they're teaching? Or do they even think about it? Mm -hmm. (laughs) This is just like, I'm going to throw my favorite songs right now. And, you know, I know a lot of teachers do take in, you know, a, a lot of consideration and, you know, make very particular tailored playlists to teach to. And many don't um and so then i fi- i found it to be distracting and kind of looking into that well what kind of music would i play during a yoga class mm. or what kind of live music would i want to hear mm. during a yoga class and what do i think could really be complementary to the practice instead of distracting
0: mm-hmm. from
2: the practice mm-hmm. that's kind of where it started and when i started with sound and yoga i started with you know playing accompaniment for yoga teachers hmm. and i saw it um as a uh, complementary in a way more that i was like assisting their class in the in the way that because i was a yoga teacher and i knew sort of the arc of the class, or where they were going, what they were trying to do, when the pace sort of picked up and slowed down, and I could really pay attention to that and and modify, you know, the the sound that I was playing.
1: Yeah, that's such a supportive role, especially coming from within your physical experience, your knowledge of the practice, and then bringing it and supporting the oral environment Mm -hmm. to create that space i mean i definitely uh, i've had i've yeah definitely i've i've felt manipulated at the end of of yoga classes with uh, during shavasana with some song that evokes an emotional response that i'm not wanting to have yeah (laughs) i don't i don't want to be evoked (laughs) into some you know, emotional response or some nostalgic memory of a, of a song while I'm lying here, pretending, you know, practicing death. Right. (laughs) I was supposed to be practicing death. Right. You know, (laughs) And now I'm (laughs) tripping out on my high school boyfriend, Mm. you know, because of this song or something. Yeah. So just another level of sensitivity. I, I mean, I really, I really, um, I really think that that is such a nice place to enter into a practice is, is through listening. I mean, we really, we really are always engaging that sense, whether we're, we know it or not. And, and I can't think of anyone who doesn't have some sort of device where they're constantly, you know, streaming something into their ear. mm you know, in some way, shape or form. Right. And so to take and bring like a spiritual intelligence to that, to bring a yogic, you know, point of view to that is a great entry point for people to take a practice deeper mm. or just to reap the benefits of your wisdom behind the, behind the sounds and the vibrations that are coming out. So can you tell me of it and we started talking about this a little bit before but this idea of entrainment I know it through different through improvisational study
2: hmm.
1: but how valuable is that for for people to be with other people having that experience
2: Wow um currently I think it is could be the most valuable. Yeah. For us to come together as a group and listen deeply. I think more and more people are craving human connection because of all the devices that Separate and divide us, and um, virtual worlds <laughs> that that we live in. Uh, something that has really fallen off is a uh, is a sense of communing. You know, with other people in a real physical way being together in in the same space and there is nothing that can replace that no <laughs> vr goggles <laughs> or anything <Right>. you know <laughs> in my opinion and it's really powerful and important hmm
1: Yeah, I was thinking of the the um the acid test parties of of the you know, I guess it, I guess it, I guess it was the early 60s. It feels like it was later, but where the Grateful Dead would be playing and everybody would be taking LSD and going on this kind of journey together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh and uh, you know, there's a as far as I know, no psychedelics in in your in your classes. No, not at but, all. <laughs> but there is this, there Never. is a, there is a common, there is this common experience where each individual, you know, we're all connected through this listening experience. We're being held in this, in this sound and each can go on our own individual trip basically. Mm-hmm. And in that way, I, and I, I hear what you're saying about the, everybody's on, the, you know, isolated on their own trip, hmm. you know, with their device and coming in just to that experience for an hour with some other people um brings like that entrainment starts to bring us into a similar you know vibration into a community
2: yeah and i always uh encourage afterwards for people to kind of connect with each other and and share their experiences because even even within a particular sound experience uh People are having uniquely different feelings. So, what an amazing uh, icebreaker, conversation starter. Like, how do you how do you feel right now after that stranger? Mm-hmm. You know, people start. I overhear conversations, or people share with me. You know, talking to complete strangers at events about like uh, feeling you know, so deeply relaxed or seeing some kind of color or their deceased grandmother said something to them, you Mm -hmm. know, all these kinds of memories, you know, and, and, and experiences can come up. And the fact that people feel so open and willing to, to share them with each other is, it's such a valuable way to connect and not usually a way that you connect in at a bar or something, <laughs> you know. Not
1: not until after several drinks, probably. Right. <laughs> probably.
2: <laughs> and then you <laughs> and, don't remember. And then you don't necessarily remember it.
1: <laughs> right. And you can't put a filter on that. You can't capture that. Right. And put a filter on it and and, uh, and a comment on it, how it is. It's that in that moment thing. And it's almost, you know, as we're talking about, it's making me a bit sad that, that that's something mm-hmm. that we have to recultivate. But, um, but also uh happy to know that there are opportunities to do that and and also just to remind uh everyone that part of a big part of having a spiritual practice is having a community you know is having people mm-hmm. to connect with and eyeball to eyeball mm-hmm. you know in your story specifically you know had you just been trying to do go through this whole experience from your injury to now, Mm. you know, on, on your own without support. I mean, that doesn't, I can't even imagine that
2: Mm.
1: without other people that were also working to build their yoga practices, you Mm -hmm. know, also willing to go and look deeply and to, to develop stamina and perseverance, you know, in in meditation and self exploration. So, well, why beyond you know beyond the some of you know beyond the many of us that uh, have had um whatever traumas that have brought us into some sort of deeper spiritual exploration, why do it? Like, why, why, why go on some kind of yoga spiritual journey? Like, why bother meditating? Why bother, you know, opening this door to another mode of perception?
2: That's a big question. I know. know, (laughs) But but it's something I've been thinking about
1: lately. Just, you know, like,
2: yeah. uh. I think it's, it's the great gift of, of being human is to, is the potential to explore and, and know yourself better. And why would you want to do that? (laughs) Because, uh, You can uncover so many more of your gifts that you can offer back out to the world. And I think that we have a responsibility to each other to be the best self that we can be. Hmm. To have you know, layers of awareness of our environment, of nature, of how we communicate with people um, and and just how we interact with each other. And if we know ourselves better, then we can help each other more and grow deeper connections with each other. And that's the most beautiful thing in the world. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you sold me. I'm sold.
1: I'm sold on that sign, reason why. Sign here. No, I'm just kidding. Sign here. I'm just kidding. Sign here. Hmm. But it can be scary yeah. for some, you know, to look at some things to know yourself better.
2: Oh, nobody said it was easy. Right.
1: <laughs> nobody said it was easy. Yeah. yeah. So what keeps you going when it isn't easy?
2: Hmm. <laughs> I know at this stage that if I'm willing to show up and do the work that I will be met with a a gift or a reward or a benefit. That might look different every time, but that's what helps me to continue to show up and do the work, even on the hardest days. Because when I do, especially when I'm leading or facilitating, I mean, that's the hardest. Oh, I'm having a bad day, but I have to go and be in front of 40, 50, 100 people, who knows, you know, a large group of people and, and really be present for them. When I do that, I am met with something, something greater than me and, you know, I'm, I'm able to do the work and I think it's about, it's really about showing up regardless of, of how you're feeling. Hmm.
1: Hmm. (laughs) Right. If you show up, then you get to see what's on the other side of it. Right. If you don't, you're stuck with what you know. Yes. Yes. Right, so there's a bit of adventure.
2: Very exciting. Yeah, I know. I mean, I know, I
1: know, uh, I know. Maharaji has, the, has uh, been quoted as saying, it takes great courage. Yeah, you know, it does take great courage. Um. But this idea of the reward can be a bit tricky, and I see that being sold a lot these days of the, some reward that you're going to get. So can you tell a little bit from your experience, maybe what some of these rewards are?
2: Yes. Uh, and I, and you know, I think I mentioned like it, the, the, the rewards or the gifts or the benefits come in, in many different Forms, many different shapes and sizes and some forms that we might not immediately see as positive, for instance. Hmm. Um, but again, is being able to know yourself better, having a greater sense of You know, intuition and awareness of of subtlety, you can start to shift your relationship to what is being presented as a a reward. Um, In that, you know, maybe you ran into somebody you wouldn't have run into if you if you showed up, and you might not see that as. Uh, something that you're benefiting from but it could very well be and you might not see the benefit from it right away but maybe that connection with that person comes back around you know a few weeks later and opens up something for you and you move to a different city and you know it's (laughs) like all of these things can be you know pinpricks that sort of you know, open up into a a floodgate of opportunity, you know, you might just not notice it at first. Right. Yeah. So the
1: more self-aware I'm becoming, the more, more my intuition is growing, the more present I'm becoming, I can actually see the rewards that are already there. Yeah. Yeah. I can see what's before me. There's a, I was in, um, on a private retreat with Ramdas, a year and a half ago. And he, um, I got there and he was in the hospital Mm. and I had this whole trip out about it because I was like, Oh, this is so like you, Melanie. Like it's gotta be dramatic. You can't just have like a nice (laughs) retreat in Maui, you know, doing all this stuff. And, um, and I was freaked about going into the hospital. I didn't want to be in a hospital. And, you know, so I asked him, uh how much of this am I creating and how much of this just is? And he said to me yesterday or you know, when you first came in, you saw needles, germs, hospital, illness, da 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 da. And he said, Today, unconditional love. Mm. You know? <laughs> and so that the um that listening, that reward is, like you're saying, with back to the siren. The siren's not gone, right? There's still a lot of sirens, at least yet.
2: You know, mm-hmm. who knows? <laughs> we might hear another one before we're <laughs> finished talking.
1: <laughs> but you know, but but I'm no longer associating that. I'm no, my perception of that siren is no longer. You know trauma, and now I've shifted my perception and I'm seeing it. I'm able to see it in this different light. Right. And that, you know, that's like, that's a bit of a hard sell on a like a workshop title, you know. Come to this workshop. <laughs> slowly, <laughs> slowly over time shift your perspective to see things in a more beautiful light,
2: you know. You but, know, um, go ahead. And you know, I think that's why people quite often um sort of draw the parallel with meditation to working out and say, I'm sure you've heard this before, that you can't go to the gym one time and expect to lose 20 pounds or have a six pack or whatever. Unfortunately. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yes. <laughs> well, that doesn't, that's not the way meditation works either. You have to continually show up and, and put in the work. And even once you get the six pack, <laughs> you have to keep doing the work to keep it. You know? And so I think that's a scenario that people can wrap their heads around a little bit more easily. Right. <laughs> right. The idea.
1: Yeah. The reward system based on, on investment of time based on the right. 10,000 hours model. Right. Right. Yeah. And then, and then, and then allowing, and again, back to your, the listening, listening to what that actually is, what that benefit actually is. Cause it shifts. I mean, in my experience, it's shifted over time i mean the things that i wanted to get out of a spiritual practice have shifted yeah you know i mean initially you went just to get out of physical pain simple yeah. i don't want to be in physical pain <laughs> right yeah not some big lofty i want to connect with everyone and you know develop our gifts and you know nothing like that right but through continuing to show up then these rewards begin to change,
2: yeah, yeah, and I think because I was a little bit skeptic and a little bit judgmental and a little bit closed off, I feel even more that it's my responsibility to 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 try to reach everyone, mm-hmm. you know, especially the people who say, "No, that's not for me, <laughs> mm hmm because it wasn't for me either,
1: right, right. And now it is. And now it is. Now it's a huge. It's your life. It's
2: my life. <laughs> People <laughs> say to me, they're like, "Oh, you you do this for a living?" I'm like, "Yeah, this is all. I, this is all I do. Yeah. This is what I do." <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. And but it you? wasn't easy. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So. I... I ask everyone to give a piece of advice, Uh, since this is the Shakti hour, I'm asking everyone to, to offer their piece of advice or wisdom to women and girls on the spiritual path, whatever comes up for you, or what you see in working with people that is coming up regularly on that.
2: specifically and you know maybe a little off topic as as women i feel that we have a responsibility to lift each other up i think many of us can have tendencies towards self doubt and and judgment of self and insecurity and so if we can support each other whatever way that we can to compliment each other to, you know, positive, to offer positive reinforcement is, you know, that's the, that's the greatest thing that we can do for each other.
1: And how does that work in the, in the spiritual community? How do you see that working or not working in the spiritual community?
2: Uh, you know, I think quite often there could be a tendency to, to compare for women to compare themselves to each other. Um so I think it's important to recognize that you are unique in whatever work you're doing or whatever you're offering and however you look mm-hmm. you know <laughs> or or sound and and we all are and so we should continue to to seek ways to to support and encourage each other instead of shooting each other down or judging.
1: That sounds great to me. (laughs) May it be so. (laughs) May it be so. Swaha. Well, thank you so much for making the trek up here for sharing, uh, sharing with me many times. You can find more of, sarah at her website com. all those links will be on the shakti hour page and uh thanks again
2: thank you